Evening, everyone. So, um, you may remember, if you were here a couple of weeks ago, we have um, begun a series of, of messages about Jesus the King, Christ the King. Um, and um, one of the scriptures that we kicked off with and will be um, repeatedly coming back to is in Philippians. Lots of Bible for you this evening. So, um, if you've got Bible with you, Please do get it out, um, get ready to turn quickly. Um, if you're using some kind of app, get your, I don't know, apping fingers ready. Um, Philippians chapter 2, um, and from verse 5 to 11, it says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus Christ is Lord. And when we looked at this a couple of weeks ago, we just reminded ourselves that actually the fact that Jesus is Lord and King is good news. It's great news. It's fantastic news. It is the good news. It is the gospel that there is a king called Jesus who makes heaven's rule possible in our world. We look together at Revelation chapter 19. If you want to turn there, Revelation 19 from verse 11. It says, I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire. And on his head are many crowns. And he has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He's dressed in a robe, dipped in blood. And his name is the word of God. The armies of heaven were following him. Riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. And coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This wonderful Jesus, this amazing Savior, our closest friend, the lover of our souls, is also the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He's the one whose eyes blaze like fire. He's the one who confronts us with the sword in his hand. You may remember we read from Joshua chapter 5 and verses 13 to 15 where Joshua is about to lead God's people into the promised land. And an angel of the Lord, the commander of the army of the Lord, who we, comparing the description, realize may well have been an appearance of Jesus himself ahead of his time. Because he comes as the commander of the army of the Lord and he stands in front of Joshua and Joshua says to him, Are you on my side or are you for my enemies? And he says, Neither, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I come before you now. And Joshua bows down before him. 
Because you see, many of us, we, we thought it was all about us and, and we thought that Jesus was there to, to help us got, get what we wanted with life. And, and then Jesus confronts us in all his majesty and his glory. And he says, it's not about whether I'm on your side or on your enemy's side. The question is, are you on my side? The question is, will you bow your knee before me and worship me? Because it's not all about us, it's all about him. And we find our true meaning and purpose. And it becomes about us when we find ourselves in him. So we looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And verses 1 to 5. Now brothers and sisters... I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you. We spent some time last time establishing that the gospel that John the Baptist preached, the gospel that Jesus preached, was the gospel of the kingdom. The gospel of the rule and reign of God. The authority of God. The kingship, the dominion of God coming into our world. That Jesus is indeed the king. And that this is good news. We even saw that that word gospel could be associated with the coming of a king. And so Paul says, I want to remind you of the gospel I preach to you. Which you've received and on which you've taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved. You may remember we said there cannot be a savior unless there is a king. That a king, that a deliverer brings the rule of God. That these things, this, this king, this, this mighty, majestic warrior king is the one who is able to deliver us. By this gospel you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise you've believed in vain. For what I received I pass on to you as of first importance. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, and then to the twelve. Last time we, we focused on that, that, that first part, that he died for our sins. That our king, this amazing, majestic king, the good news is that the king has come, and yet our king was crucified. Our king was crucified for our sins, for your sin and mine. This time, the good news gets even better. Because our king did not stay dead. Let's look at Luke chapter 24. Luke 24. Verses 1 to 8. On the first day of the week... Very early in the morning, the women took the spices they prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. And in their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was with you in Galilee. The son of man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners. Be crucified and on the third day be raised again. And then they remembered his words. It's easy isn't it to get familiar with the words of the biblical account of the the resurrection. It's just like kind of I don't know it just seems like words. and, And we've read them many times and 
I don't know, it's a bit like when you watch a movie, when you watch a film and, and you've watched it before. And suddenly all the really scary bits aren't scary anymore. Because you know that it's going to be alright in the end. And you know it all gets solved and it all comes together. And, and so there's... there's I think sometimes it can be a bit like that for us because we read the crucifixion and we know it's going to rise again. And we can become a bit familiar with the resurrection. We can become a bit, kind of, oh yeah, yeah, I know Jesus rose from the dead, Easter, Easter eggs, all that stuff. And this is the most spectacular thing that ever happened in the whole of human history. The most spectacular event that ever took place on the face of this planet was described in those verses. Jesus was dead. Jesus was completely dead. The gospel writers go to great lengths to make sure that we know he was well and truly dead. He didn't faint. He wasn't in a coma. He wasn't nearly dead. It wasn't like one of those um, films again, um, or, or maybe an episode of Casualty, um, and it's kind of like the beep, beep machine, beep, 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 beep and then suddenly it goes beep, and like everyone rushes into the room, and you kind of like, well, I was going to say you kind of know that they're going to make it, but actually in Casualty, it's that depressing that you really don't. Um, could go either way, but... Um, you know, Jesus wasn't in that scenario where there were people all around him trying to bring him back. He was completely dead. Completely and utterly dead. It was all over. The soldier made sure of it by thrusting a spear into the side of Jesus. Because he had to be sure that he was already dead. And blood and water flowed from his side. And they took him down from the cross and they wrapped his body in grave clothes. And they placed it in a tomb. And nobody prayed over Jesus. Nobody laid hands on him. They didn't have a resurrection life team with lanyards that they could call to come and pray for him. And certainly nobody shocked him with a defibrillator. The body would have gone cold. He was dead. But Jesus possessed resurrection life inside of himself. He possessed resurrection inside of himself. You see, the difference between ordinary, regular life and supernatural resurrection life is that resurrection life just will not die. Or, more accurately, it won't stay dead. Because it's not like he was, he was kind of like just nearly dead and there was just a little bit. And I need to labor this for us. You see, it wasn't like there was, there was a bit of hope. It wasn't like, you know, a fire that's kind of almost gone out. But there's, this, there's just this tiny little glow. And you know that if you're really careful, you can just like kind of gradually fan it back into flame. And you can bring it back. No, all life was gone. All life was gone. There was no hope. You see, resurrection life fights back, not just like when it seems like it's over, but when it is over. Resurrection life fights back, not when it seems like all hope is gone, but when all hope has gone. It's the ultimate comeback. When someone's dead, it means there is no life left. 
dead, they're gone, it's over, and it's just wrong. We know that instinctively, don't we? I mean, I know we encourage ourselves when someone dies in Christ and goes to be with the Lord. Maybe they've been through a time of pain and suffering, and we say that they have gone to a better place, and that is true. Because they've been relieved from their suffering, but it doesn't mean that either the suffering or the death itself was right. Death is our enemy. Because God intended that we should enjoy life. And life comes from God. Think about it for a moment. We've talked about the the rule and the reign of God. The only reason that there was ever life on the face of this planet is because God said it should be so. Life itself is a direct result of the rule and reign of God. And death is a result of the rejection of the rule and reign of God. There would be no death if we had never rejected God's rule and reign. The rejection of God's rule, it's called sin. And the Bible so clearly links for us sin and death together. We need to understand that, just how much sin and death are interrelated. God warned us right at the beginning that if we rejected our relationship with him and our dependency on him for knowing what is right and what is wrong, that we would die. But we didn't believe him. We were tempted by the enemy and we thought, do you know what? We want to make ourselves like God. We want to decide for ourselves what is right and what is wrong. We don't want to depend on him. We don't want to submit ourselves to his rule and reign. We're quite happy living our own life, doing things our own way. Whether we were conscious of him or not, every single one of us made that decision. We were living life our own way under our own authority. And when we made that decision in the beginning... When Adam and Eve, they took of that fruit and they, and they ate and they didn't immediately fall down dead. They thought they'd got away with it. But the truth is spiritual death entered into our lives in that moment. And every single one of us has been born spiritually dead ever since as a result of that. And so when we become Christians, we take part in a resurrection. We were born spiritually dead. As a result of sin and death in the world. But when we become Christians. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ. We're born again. A new life begins. The Bible describes it as taking part in the first resurrection. And it says those who take part in the first resurrection. Have no fear of the second death that is to come. Because death has no fear for us anymore. Because we've already passed from death to life. Lacundo read for us already this evening, Colossians chapter 2 and verse 13. Colossians 2, 13. It says, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. You were dead. You were dead. But God made you alive with Jesus Christ. We were reading before from 1 Corinthians 15. Let's just go back there for a moment. 1 Corinthians 15. I think we got up to the end of verse 5. It says in verse 6, After that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time. Most of them are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. And we'll skip to verse 12. 
But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. Wow, that is quite a statement there. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, then we are all totally wasting our time. All of this is meaningless if Jesus did not rise from the dead. More than that, verse 15, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people to be most pitied. You see, it's all very well. We said he shed his royal blood and it cleanses us from our sin. But if he did not rise from the dead, then we are still in the power of sin. Without resurrection, our faith is a waste of time. Because it's only resurrection that has the power to overcome sin and death. It's only resurrection that can make everything new. Let's look at Romans chapter 6. What should we say then? Should we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus. Now can I just say. If, if you've been baptized in water. Since becoming a believer. Then I want to encourage you. As we read this. Just remind yourself. This is what has taken place in your life as a result of that act of faith. And if you haven't been baptized in water since you became a Christian, since putting your faith in Jesus, I want to challenge you. Let the word of God convict you of what he wants to do for you through your baptism. And come and talk to one of us afterwards. So let's read that again. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. This is what was going on when we got baptized in water. We were identifying with him in his death so that we could be with him in his death so that we could also participate with him in his resurrection. Verse 5, For if we've been united with him in a death like his, he will, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him. So that the body ruled by sin might be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. 
So what your baptism was all about, about entering into a union with him, an identification, something spiritually powerful took place and you identified yourself with his death and his resurrection. It took hold in your life. The amazing truth of our gospel is that God, our King, invites us back into relationship with himself. Perfect relationship. We'd rejected his kingship, but he says, come back and I will restore you. Not just as a subject, but as a son, as a daughter, as a brother or sister of Jesus himself. A co-heir with Jesus. An heir of God's kingdom. An heir of God's rule and authority that's destined to fill the earth. He invites us into union with himself. And Jesus is resurrection life. Jesus is resurrection life. We've said this before, but you know that when it says in scripture, believe in Jesus, on many occasions the language actually translates as believe into Jesus. And that's true in this verse in John 11, 25 and 26. When Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes into me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing into me will never die. Do you believe this? We believe ourselves into union with Jesus Christ, who is the resurrection and the life. Have you ever sung that song, when you walk into the room, everything changes? One of the the lines in that song is, when you walk into the room, the dead begin to rise because there is resurrection life in all you do. It's a fantastic truth, isn't it? Because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Wherever there is death, wherever there is the result of sin, wherever there is anything in opposition to God's kingdom, wherever there is sickness, wherever there is... um, mental health issues, wherever there is emotional trauma, wherever there is injustice, wherever there is suffering, wherever there is um, crime, wherever there is oppression or poverty, wherever there are lies. Jesus walks into that situation and there is resurrection flowing through him. He is resurrection. It's amazing. He is resurrection. It's incredible. Words fail me. Just, this, just like you think of these atomic explosions and how bright and, and, and powerful. And, but this is resurrection. The power that brought Jesus back from the dead. Not when there was a little bit of life that came back again. But all hope was gone. It was finished. It was completely over. There was no hope. The darkest darkness. But Jesus rose again because there is resurrection in him. And he calls us to believe ourselves into union with him. So when you face that injustice in your world, this evening maybe, tomorrow morning, when you go into the workplace and you face that injustice, or you face those lies that are being spoken, the person who is being badly treated and it seems impossible, you're overwhelmed by the injustice that you see through your work maybe in in our city or in our nation. Or you're confronted with the sick person 
whose prognosis is that there is no hope. When you're faced with any situation that is against the rule and reign of God, when it's not as you know it should be, and it seems impossible, and you seem so weak, and you seem so unable to do anything about the situation, when all hope is gone, just remember that when you walk into the room, everything changes, because there is resurrection life in all you do. There is resurrection life in all you do because he is inside of you because you've believed yourself into union with him. Romans chapter 8 from verse 9. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh but are in the realm of the spirit if indeed the spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of His Spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it's not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. The Spirit comes and makes us children of God, heirs of God, co-heirs with Jesus Christ, and resurrection now belongs to us too. We've become partners in resurrection life. Isn't that incredible? We still experience. Notice in in that passage we just read, it says, if indeed you share in his sufferings, in order that you will also share in his glory, because we still live right now in the overlap of the ages. Because Jesus has risen from the dead and he's done all that is necessary. It is finished. When he died on the cross, he paid the price for everything. And when he rose from the dead, he he triumphed over every principality and power. And yet now we still live in this overlap of the ages when the end is still to come. We still experience death in this world. And we therefore still experience the, the kind of The other effects, the the other things that that are linked with sin and death, the the injustice, the unrighteousness. Jesus has done it all. And his resurrection life, and his resurrection life is inside of us. And yet we're still living. Jesus said, didn't he? He didn't take us out of this world. But we're still living in this broken world. And we're here to bring transformation. We're here to challenge what's going on around us, even though there is sin and death, even though there is decay, even though we're not immune to the pain and the struggle and the suffering of living in this world. Something has happened inside of us that makes us different. 
1 Corinthians 15, just carrying on again in that passage we were reading. It says from verse 20, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ the firstfruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. And then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he's destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. So we live in the meantime in this overlap. We know that death will be thrown, as the book of Revelation describes it, into the lake of fire. Death itself will be consumed. There will be no more death. But while we live waiting for that moment, we've got resurrection life inside of us. You may remember it's in Matthew 16 verses 13 to 19. One occasion Jesus asked Peter, who do people say that I am? And he said, well, some people are saying John the Baptist. Some people are saying Elijah. And Jesus said, well, what about you? Who do you say that I am? And Peter looked at him and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, blessed are you. Because this was not revealed to you by human beings, but by God himself. And he said, I tell you, you're Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. And this is what he said about the church. That will be built upon a revelation of Jesus as the Christ. The Messiah. The king who would bring the kingdom. This is what God said he would do. What Jesus said he would do based on that revelation. He said, I'll build my church. And the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Now, very often we translate this as hell. We think, hell's not going to get me. I'm going to be safe. If I go and shut myself in the church, I'll be all right. Hell won't get me. But actually, it's not hell. The word Gehenna means hell. Hades means the place of the dead. It was called Sheol in the Old Testament. It was a familiar Jewish concept. It was the place of death. What Jesus was saying is that death, Will not The gates of death will not prevail against the church. Now many of you are familiar with this. We do not often hear of people walking around with gates in their pockets ready to hold up a bank. We don't hear people talking about being held up at gate point, And we don't hear about gates of mass destruction. Because we understand, don't we, that gates are a defensive thing. Gates are to keep the enemy out. We don't go out with a gate ready to bash somebody, but we use gates to keep our enemies away from us. In certain estates, they live behind gates to try and keep other people out. And that's what death does. Death has got gates because death is on the run because here comes the church. Here comes the church with the resurrection life of Jesus in all she does. And Jesus says, I tell you, you are my church. And based on this revelation of who I am as the great king who brings in the kingdom, you will push back even the boundaries of death itself. And death is on the run. In Genesis 22 and verse 17. Many of us are familiar with the things that God promised to Abraham. They would have descendants like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. And that through him and all his descendants, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. You know, one of the things that God said to Abraham was that you will possess, your descendants will possess the gates of their enemies. Who is our enemy? Sin and death. 
We, the church of Jesus Christ, in fulfillment of God's covenant promise to Abraham, will possess the gates of death itself. And so this is our challenge. To walk about our lives. To walk about our communities. To interact with your family. To interact with your friends. To go into your workplace knowing that you are there with resurrection life inside of you. That every single situation that seems impossible, that seems bleak, it seems no way, it seems like things are falling apart. You are there with resurrection inside of you. You're in union with Jesus himself who is the resurrection and the life. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead dwells inside of you. Not as some impersonal force, but as the resurrected king himself by his spirit. It's the resurrected king who makes all of this possible. It's by his resurrection that he makes the life of God's kingdom possible. We were under the dominion of darkness, the rule, the law of sin and death. We were under the power of the enemy, but 1 John 3 verse 8, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the work of the devil. Acts 2.36, therefore let all Israel be assured of this, that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And Romans 1.1-4, he was appointed the Son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead. He was appointed the Son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead. If he had not risen, our faith would be a waste of time. But he is risen. He's alive. The devil threw everything he had at him. Everything that conspires against the rule and reign of God in this world was thrown at Jesus. But death could not hold him down. He is risen. He's risen from the dead. He's alive and he's bringing all the rule of heaven with him. And we have resurrection life. He can take away your sin and mine. And he can give you and me new life because he is the resurrection and the life. This is the gospel that we represent to people all around us. There are people around you in your workplace, in your family, in your neighborhood. And they don't know this, but it's true. His resurrection is the proof that he reigns over everything. Whenever you see that situation that looks impossible, whenever you see that situation that is impossible, remember the resurrection. Remember the resurrection. That thing that God's told you to do, and there's no way you can do it. It's just you don't have it in you. Remember the resurrection. That word that God spoke to you, and it seems like it's all over. It seems like you blew it. It seems like you failed at that, and there's no way now. Remember the resurrection. It makes all the difference in the world when you know who lives inside of you. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Last couple of references now. Ephesians chapter 1, from verse 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. 
That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, who fills everything in every way. I pray that you'll know this incomparably. That means there is nothing in the entire universe that compares with this. I pray that you will know this incomparably great power. The resurrection life of Jesus inside of you. Knowing it not as some mental fact. Knowing it not so that you can complete some assignment. Write some essay to show you have a theological understanding. But know it. Know it. Know it experientially. Know it so that you can live it. The resurrected King Jesus living in you by his spirit. And just as he prayed that for the church, so Paul cried out and prayed that for himself. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 7. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. I want to know this resurrected king. I want to know the power of his resurrection in my life. Even as I'm called to participate in his sufferings, to experience still the overlap between the now and the not yet, knowing that he's done it all, but patiently waiting. And that's another message that's to come in this series. But as I wait, knowing nevertheless that I already have resurrection inside of me. I'm already risen from the dead. I've taken part in the first resurrection. And now there is resurrection life in all I do. And wherever I encounter and experience death, and the consequences of sin in this world, I know that I carry resurrection life inside of me. Now that Christ has died for me, and I've been united with him in his death and resurrection, I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. We need to be so much more aware of who's inside us and who we carry around with us. Count yourself dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ. You have the power to stop sinning. Physical, mental, emotional healing are possible because of the resurrection life that is inside of us. God is sending us with his life into situations where it seems like death reigns. But he's sending us to confront that and challenge that. And we will possess the gates of our enemies. And bring hope for the hopeless. Holding out the word of life. Healing the sick. Casting out demons. Overturning injustice. 
And when we face trials and challenges of any kind, we need to remember that we carry the indestructible life of King Jesus inside of us. The indestructible life. He is indestructible. His life is unbreakable. There is nothing that can quench the resurrection life of Jesus. Our King Jesus is life. Our King Jesus is indestructible life. Jesus is our King of kings and our Lord of lords. He is our resurrected King. Amen? Amen. Amen. We're just going to bring our time to close by just worshipping again. Um, because we just want to give opportunity to just let that sink in for a moment. Yeah? So just as the team come and get ready to lead us, just maybe reflect on and just allow what God has said to sink in to your heart. And we're just going to worship him together.